We've been going through the Gospel of John, and when I uh, sat down and, and figured out uh, where we were going to go, I uh, outlined 33 sermons that would get us through the book. And uh, I think last week was 26 or 27, and we're halfway through. So we're not going to make it in 33. I didn't know if you figured that out yet, but uh, just let you know that. But if you read through the Gospel of John, and when you get halfway through the book, chapter 11, one of the things that you see is that there's a change takes place in the Gospel and the message that John writes about. The first 11 chapters, there's been one word that's described everything. That's the word believe. Believe. John 3.16 is classic in the sense of that's what John says over and over and over again. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Believe and you will go to heaven. Not believing in a historical uh, fact, but in the person of Jesus, the gospel. You remember the gospel. Jesus is God. Without beginning, without end, infinite, almighty, equal with the Father, God. He emptied himself of all that he was as God, became flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect, sinless life, And then he was nailed to a cross, and while he hung there, God took all the sins of the first person to the last person, all of them, gathered them all together, put them on Jesus, and then punished his son in our place for those sins. He died, was buried, he rose again, he's alive today. That's the gospel. And when I accept that personally and believe that, uh, the Bible teaches that I am forgiven, adopted into the family of God, I am his son, and I'm going to live in heaven forever and ever and ever. I have that as my security. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's given to me as a free gift simply on the basis of my faith. That's John over and over and over the first 11 chapters. Now we're going to start uh, the second half of John. I thought I would preach this morning just on that uh, an introductory sermon of the topic because the key word now is not the word believe. The key word is the word follow. Follow. Follow Jesus. Be his disciple. So, believe and you're in, believe and you're forgiven, believe you are his son, your daughter, no works required, you don't have to do anything, Uh, you don't have to go anywhere, you believe. And so the truth is, you as a believer, you can work your job, pay your bill, mow your lawn, feed your dog, feed your cat, uh, go on your vacation, buy your boat. You can do all of that, and you don't have to do anything at all for God because it's a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But nobody really wants to do that. You can do that if you want, but you, in your heart, you don't want to. You want to do something with your life that matters. And so you will do that as a follower of Jesus, but that's your choice. Uh, but that's what John encourages us from here on out is to exactly be that kind of person, a fully devoted follower of him. So if you have your notes, number one, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, the eternal companion of Jesus. So I talk to people today and, and uh, ask them about their faith and where they are and their walk with God, and, and they'll communicate, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he died, and I believe he died for me, and, and the gospel right down the line. But I say, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. You don't go to church. Why? Well, you know, one reason or another, it's usually because somebody upset them, hurt them, offended them, any kind of number of things, but they just sort of opted out of church like it's uh, just a club. 
People have a low view of the church, glorified Fred Meyer store, as it were. I go there to have my needs met. I don't have any. I don't have to go. Uh, we shop around. We just have a low view of the church. The church in the Bible is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Why don't you go to church? Well, because the church is full of hypocrites. And so we see the problems, we see the limitations because we look at us, but it won't always be that way because it says, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, she will be holy and blameless. That's what God is in the process of doing with his bride. So, Way back in the beginning, when there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they had never been created. They've always existed. Everything else has been created. And so there was a point when nothing existed but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they planned out all the years, the thousands of years in the future. And the core of their plan was to go from three to four in their family, uh, to expand the Trinity, as it were, from Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we would be included, the bride of Jesus. Genesis 1, at the very beginning, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. That was Adam. He created Eve, but it was also Adam as a type of Christ. It was a prophetic statement that God made at the very beginning at the start of the book of Genesis. This is what I'm about. This is what the goal of everything is, is to create a companion for Jesus, suitable for him, that will live with him and reign with him forever and ever and ever. Revelations 19, that was the beginning, here's the end. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Revelations 3.21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me. This is Jesus speaking. Sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. And we someday will be seated at the right hand of Jesus uh, as part of the family of God. And I am part of the family on the basis of faith. Faith in what Jesus did, it did for me. Number two, the church is the body of Christ. God's physical method to accomplish his will in a physical world. So, in the very beginning, when the plan was made to expand the family, and all that God did was planned, one of the ingredients that was required was freedom. I needed to be able to choose, otherwise love wouldn't be love. But God knew that once freedom was given for me to choose to decide that I would mess up, you would as well. So there needed to be a a remedy for that. And so the plan in the very beginning was that God, in the person of Jesus, would empty himself, strip himself of all that he was as God, leave heaven, and become flesh exactly like us. See, God became flesh so that we could get saved. And when Jesus was born into the world, that was body one. Body one. Jesus the man. 
He died, he was buried, he rose again, he went to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and now body two. That is God's method of accomplishing his will in the world of saving people is the church. We are the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22, And God the Father put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus and gave him his head over all things to the church, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians 1.24, this is my life verse. It can be yours. I rejoice, Paul talking here, in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh, in my flesh, Paul says, in this physical body, I do my share. I do my share on behalf of his body, the church, in filling up what is lacking. Filling up what is lacking. So is there a problem with the church today? Sure there is. I'm in it. Is there a problem with the church today? Sure there is. You're in it. Paul said, in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, and filling up that which is lacking, fixing the problem. And so the church, in a very real way, uh, is a hospital with sick people, with those who are involved in helping and curing and bringing remedy to the problem. I do my share in filling up that which is lacking. And so if you and I have a conversation and I say, uh, uh, you don't go to church. No, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, I know that, but I'm trying to do something about that. In my flesh, I do my share in filling up that which is lacking in the body of Christ. How about you? What are you doing? Uh, see, we're given a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We don't deserve it. We're headed for heaven. Now we can choose to follow him, to serve him, to be his disciple. And a key part of what we will do is be committed to the church, to the body of Christ, and to serve him. So <clears throat> one time I had a couple, uh, all this time I have a couple in my office doing marriage counseling a number of years ago, and what I tend to do is to start with the wife and say, okay, uh, what's the problem? My husband doesn't love me. Oh, that's bad. He's supposed to love you the way Christ loves the church, but he doesn't. So, so husband, I do love her. You do? Yeah, I love her with all my heart. No, he doesn't love me. Yeah, I do. So why do you say that? Well, because he doesn't remember my birthday, he doesn't remember my anniversary, he doesn't ever does anything nice to me, doesn't talk nice to me, hardly ever home, late. Had a pretty long list. So, I love her. What do you mean? Oh, I just, uh, I just, you know, had this warm, fuzzy feeling. I really do. So, you, yeah. Yeah. So what's Jesus say about me? My love for him. Your love for Jesus is no greater than your love for his bride. Your love for Jesus is no greater than his, your love for his body. Your commitment to Jesus is no greater than your commitment to his bride, to his body. It's easy to say, like that husband, I have this warm, fuzzy feeling, I am so in love with Jesus. But love is basically... Uh, an act of commitment, an act of devotion, and the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Jesus. Number three is the church, our commission given to us by God is to make disciples. To make disciples. Jesus made that 
commission, gave that commandment just before he headed off to heaven in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the very end of the book of Matthew, the last statement that he makes, go therefore and make disciples, make disciples. So what does a toilet uh, paper factory do? They make toilet paper. How about a car factory? They make cars. How about a builder? He builds houses. What about a church? They make disciples. At least that's what they're called to do, to make disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them. When we talk about discipleship as a church, the key thing that we do is we teach. We teach the Bible and how to live and how to serve. So we're building that building over there, and discussion we have is, what are we going to call it? We call the elevator now, the Overton Elevator in honor of Rich Overton. I have an idea. Let's call it Cabela's. <laughs> Cabela, why, well, because I like Cabela's. Oh, okay, no Cabela's. How about uh, Sportsman's Warehouse? You like that one? No? How about Home Depot? Uh, how about Discipleship Center? place where disciples are made. After the last service, a young fellow came up and said, Pastor, I have an idea. I said, what's that? We'll call it Discipleship Depot. (laughs) I like that. A place where disciples are made, a building that's a tool uh, where teaching will happen. Now, we were kicking around the term Sunday school. Now, I'm I'm sort of, you know, uh, I don't, my wife sometimes will talk to me like one of the grandkids. We have 22 of them. And she's around them a lot, and so she'll just talk to me, and I'll say, hey, don't talk to me like I'm one of the grandkids. See, I'm your husband, I'm the grandpa. Oh, I forgot, I'm sorry. Sunday school, doesn't that, you know, that's okay for the little kids that sang this morning, but what about me? Sunday school, sounds a little. Pastor Mike came up with an idea, DEC, Discipleship Education Courses. We can call it DEC. You know, we'll kick it around a bit, uh, but Discipleship, that's what we're about, and we do it by teaching. Number four, a disciple is a fully devoted follower, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That's the invitation. Now, you don't have to. That's your choice. Uh, See, you're going to heaven if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've trusted him as your personal Savior, and uh, you don't have to be a disciple. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to go to heaven Heaven is free. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's given to you as a gift on the basis of faith. Now it's your choice. You serve him or you don't. A lot of people like the comfortable life, the easy life, and just as soon, eh, no big deal. I think I'll just opt out of that one. Luke 9, 23, he was saying to them, Jesus, if anyone wishes, and we do, all of us in the core of our being do, we wish to come after him, we must deny ourselves. That is, I'm not going to run my life any longer, do what I want, take up his cross daily, follow me, follow me. See, it's a choice you make. You don't just fall into that, you choose. You don't wake up and are a disciple, you commit. Uh, It's a commitment. In fact, Jesus said it's one that we ought to make every day, daily, pick up your cross and follow me. Number five, a disciple loves God and people. I was in a restaurant with one of my 22 grandkids, uh, one of my little grandsons, and, and uh, getting a hamburger or something, and a 
fellow that was in the army walked in. And he said, Grandpa, Grandpa. I said, what, what? There's a soldier. How do you know? Because he has his uniform on. Uniforms mark often what we are. Football player for Oregon Ducks. Uh, sometimes you don't know because they change a lot. But they have a uniform usually that's pretty bright and pretty spiffy. Uh, beavers, uh, policemen, uniforms tell us who we are, what we are. John 13, 35, by this, all men, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the uniform. That's a characteristic of a disciple of Jesus, one who follows and serves him. They love people, uh, not because they're lovable, not because they're nice, uh, but because that's what disciples do. Number six, a disciple is devoted to the word of God and to prayer. So you're going to make a choice to be a disciple of Jesus. You're signing up to serve him, to do his work, to do his will. A key aspect of what you're committing to is to be devoted to his word and to prayer. Every year I make a goal that's a BHAG. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's sort of like on the edge of reality. And uh, what I'm thinking about next year, 2016, is uh, signing up to, to get a doctor's degree in theology. I'm kind of old for that stuff. But, you know, it'd be kind of a challenge. I have an honorary doctorate, and that's just given to me. Didn't have to work for it. And so I think that'd be kind of fun. Maybe go to Multnomah or Western or online Liberty. And I, so I've been checking them out. And do you know the minute I sign the line that says I'm in the doctoral program, I commit to, like, reading bazillions of pages of books. Maybe not quite that many, but it's a lot. That's just what you commit to when you... Uh, pursue that particular goal. You're going to be a disciple of Jesus. You're devoted to the word of God. John 8, 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if, if, that's because it's a choice, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. John 14, now this is the second half, talking to disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also greater works See, disciples are serving Jesus, accomplishing the will and the work of Jesus, greater works than he, these he will do. Because I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, in my name, in my name, what does that mean? We pray. In Jesus' name we pray. It's sort of like an add-on magic formula, kind of a thing that just guarantees we'll get our prayers answered. That means that you are uh, praying with power of attorney. You're praying, God looking at you like you are Jesus himself. Uh, and you have that position and that power because you are a fully devoted follower of him. Uh, it's just not for anybody to say, in Jesus' name we pray. That's a statement. It's a statement of who you are and what you're doing and who you're following and your commitment level in life. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. Disciples are devoted to the Word of God. Disciples are devoted to prayer as a way of getting things done and advancing God's family. Seven, a disciple bears much fruit. A disciple is a fisher of men. Now, the number one reason why people don't say, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to do His will and His work is because they don't think they can. I've never been to Bible school, and I don't speak really well, and I don't particularly like people, and I'm kind of timid, and I'm kind of shy, and I can't sing, and I don't lead well. There's not much I have to offer. I don't know what I could really do as a disciple of Jesus. See, you don't have to worry about that because he will make you 
effective. He will empower you. He will open doors. He will give you everything that you need. John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, much fruit, much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. That's what disciples do. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That doesn't mean you're getting kicked into hell, but it does mean that you're getting put on the bench. He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. He prunes it. You know what that means? He will do whatever you need to bear fruit once you take that step. I have, most of you know, I have this 10 by 12 greenhouse. And in the greenhouse, I have a 300-gallon tank, plastic tank, buried in the ground. And I have 100 tilapia in it. And they're getting to be big, and they're getting close to eating. And in the bottom of that tank, I have a sump pump, and it pumps the water out, uh, the whole tank, every hour. And I have two grow beds three feet by eight feet full of three-quarter inch gravel, one inch deep, all uh, uh, fiberglass so that no water runs out, and it pumps the water in there, and it fills it up, and then it drains it out, and fills it up, and drains it out. In the grow beds, I have all kinds of plants growing, and this is like really a lot of fish poop in that water. Pump it out, goes through the tub, filters it through. The plants just growing like crazy, and I got 12 tomato plants that are growing like, boom, they're huge, big old plants, and they got flowers all over them, and the flowers would come out, and I think, okay, we have tomatoes, and then they would just dry up and fall off. Another one, dry up and fall off, and so I, I went online, and I read about it, and they said, tomatoes have to have some wind or some bees in order to pollinate, they self-pollinate, so what is a good trick is you go in there with an electric toothbrush, and you put the electric toothbrush right on top of the flower, and it will vibrate just like a bee on it, and it'll buzz, and it'll cause it to pollinate. So I stole my grandson, his electric toothbrush, and every day I got there, my wife sees me going out. I was going to bring it just to show you. I go into my greenhouse like a magic wand. Every one of my tomato flowers, bzzz, bzzz, bzzz. I got tomatoes everywhere now. It's true, really, it is. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. If you bear fruit, a little bit of fruit, God will prune you. That is, he will do whatever he needs to do so that you will bear much fruit. That's what he does. Whatever it will take for you, for me, whatever is unique to us, God will make us, cause us to bear fruit. Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. That doesn't mean he will twist our arm. It means he will equip us and train us and open doors for us and give us the energy, give us the wisdom, the resources, anything and everything that we need. You just take a step of commitment in the direction of being a disciple for Jesus. You follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You bear some fruit, I'll prune you so you bear more fruit. That's his promise. Number eight, a disciple has publicly declared their intent to follow Jesus by baptism. Baptism, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. It's a public ceremony declaring your intent to follow him. I had a young person come up to me and say, Pastor D, I really want to be baptized. I said, that's good, but it's so scary. I said, you know what's scary? He said, what's that? Getting married. Yeah, I remember when I got married. I didn't know that woman, and I didn't know what was ahead of me, and I was making a commitment to her and I was going to walk the aisle, and I was going to say, I do, and I was going to put a ring on her finger. Now, that's scary. I married because I went through a ceremony, a wedding, 
It was scary. I didn't know what I was signing up for. But it's been almost 50 good years. Eight kids, 22 grandkids, been some fruit. Baptism is scary because you're publicly declaring, this is what I am going to do, follow Jesus and be his disciple. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number nine, believers in Jesus get to live in heaven with God for all eternity with a new body, incomprehensible joy. That's believers, John 3, 16. So how does a believer become a believer? Because of disciples who are fishers for men, uh, who are bearing fruit for God, who are inviting, who are praying, who are serving, who are doing whatever God provides them the opportunity to do. So people come to faith in Christ through people. We're the body of Christ. Jesus came seeking and saving the lost. He's given that responsibility to me and to you. Luke chapter 20, verse 36. They cannot even die anymore because they're like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Revelations 21.4, uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. First things have passed away. That's heaven. And you get there by faith. That's it. But disciples are the ones who do the work that bring people to faith in Christ. Number 10, unbelievers will spend eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God in torment. Disciples like a firefighter rescuing people from a burning house. A disciple is like a, 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 a lifeguard rescuing people from drowning. Disciples like a doctor in an ER room saving people from death. That's what disciples do. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Written in the book of life. You get your name written in the book of life by believing. Believing. Those who believe in Jesus in the gospel, uh, their names are written in the book of life. They're adopted into the family of God, and they will live with him forever and ever and ever. I memorize Bible verses uh, two to four a week, and I review the old ones, and this was on my list, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and I got started on it, but it was so sad, I, I, I quit. I thought, I'll just read it. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Number 11, many people, Christians, non-Christians, fuss about the truth that lost people are sent to the lake of fire forever. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, if God really is a God of love, how can he send anybody to hell? Uh, people who say that uh, don't understand a lot of different things. Number 12, they don't understand God's holiness. God's holiness. Uh, what does that mean, God's holiness? That means there's not a, a speck of sin or unrighteousness in God's character. He's totally, completely pure and holy and righteous. And so we think that it's no big deal for God just to wink at sin. Just to, eh, whatever. God is holy. Isaiah 43, 15, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. 1 Samuel 6, 20, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? Psalms 99, 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy, holy is he. 
Anybody who would say, I can't understand how a God of love would send anyone to hell, they don't understand God's holiness, and they don't understand 13, God's justice. That's who he is. That's his nature. See, with God, there's right, there's wrong. With God, uh, there's sin, and, there's un- and he, sin must be paid for. It must be taken care of. Again, uh, if God is just, totally just, then you can't just ignore injustice. Psalms 97, two clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice. Justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up, lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. Number 14, they don't understand God's love. How can a God of love send anyone to the lake of fire? God is holy and God is just, and he knew at the very beginning this was going to be an issue. And so Jesus, the Son of God, very God, emptied himself, stripped himself of all that he was as God, came into this world as flesh, and took upon himself the sin of every individual. Think of the number of people that have lived since Adam and will live until the end. All the sins of every person all put on Jesus. He became that sin. He felt that sin, the shame of that sin, the guilt of that sin. He experienced it fully. Then God poured out his wrath against all of that sin on his own son. And then people would say, I don't see how a God of love, how much love must God have had in order to have done that so that I could live with him for eternity? Ephesians 2, 4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. 15, they don't understand God. The magnitude of God, the majesty of God, the, uh, the, 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 just the creativity of God. Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of, of the Lord or who became his counselor? 16, the people who would... Uh, sort of walk away from God because they don't understand this. They're blind to their own pride. The fact that they would argue with God or tell God what's right. They don't understand how naive they are uh, in saying such words. Second Kings 19.22, Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Ezekiel 18, 29, the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Proverbs 19, 3, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. Isaiah 45, 9, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Isaiah 29, 16, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is, is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. See, God doesn't need us, but he loves us. 
of an infinite, indescribable love. 17, they don't understand God's providence, His sovereignty, His foreknowledge, that God is all-knowing, all-wise. There is nothing beyond His ability to comprehend or understand. He knows the end from the beginning. He is totally and completely just and awesomely holy. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things long past. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me, be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things long past. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So here's a cool promise, 18. Those who choose to follow Jesus and seek the lost understand all things. I'm not talking about understanding algebra. I'm talking about these things that we just talked about. God's purpose, God's justice, God's holiness, God's love. We don't understand because we're smart. We understand because He makes us understand and so the person who says, oh, I'll, I'll come when I understand, I'll come when I get it. I'll commit, I'll follow when it makes sense to me. You'll never come if you want to do it on your conditions. God says, you follow me, and then I will bless you. Isaiah, uh, uh, Mark 4.34, he did not speak to them, that is the crowd's, without a parable. A parable was not designed to make things easy to understand. It was designed to confuse. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples, to his disciples, those who were following him. Matthew 13, 11, Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To you, my disciples, but to them it has not been granted. Luke 24, 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Luke 10, 21, at that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, those who think they know what they're talking about, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to, be my, to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and everyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. Blessed are the th eyes that see the things you see. John eight thirty one. so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth. You will know the truth. You will understand. It'll make sense. So, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, 2016. I have a BHAG. I want to play football. You know, not just flag football, with real football, with uniform, helmet, pads, whole nine yards. So whenever I make a BHAG, I set out the strategy. What's the strategy? Well, you can't play football unless you're on a team. So I've been praying really hard that, that the NFL draft that just ended, one of those teams would draft me. Didn't happen. You're not surprised, are you? Okay, what's the next step down? College. I'm going to maybe sign up to do a doctor of theology. I'll find one where they have football. Sign up for the, for the 
doctor's program and say, hey, I'd like to play football. I think maybe I'm going to have to find some five-year-olds, or at least the youngest that play football, and say, hey, could I play football with you? But one thing is for sure, I'm not going to find a uniform, buy it in a garage sale, and go out in my backyard and throw the ball up in the air and catch it and throw it against the fence and catch it, throw it against the tree and catch it, and say I'm playing football. If you're going to play football, you'd be on a team. That's the only way you can play football. Did you know if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to be on a team? Discipleship is a team sport. That's what the church does. Number 19, being a disciple as part of the bride and body of Christ, bearing fruit together in unity with others. It's easier, more fun, way more productive, and it's the will of God. It's the only way it works. The commission was given to the church, the church that Jesus died for, that he loves. Go and make disciples. So that's what we do. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you follow him with the church. Uh, there's no such thing uh, as a maverick disciple, uh, as a do-it-yourself-by-yourself disciple of Jesus. Number 20, those who are following and serving Jesus have a great sense of significance and churches that are making disciples are fun to be part of. When I left uh, home, I graduated from high school and got ready to take off for college in Portland. I was going to a Christian college. My pastor called me into his office. He said, did you know who the most worthless people are in churches in Portland? The most useless, good-for-nothing people in the church? I said, no. He said, students at Christian colleges. He says, they go to Christian college and they have Christian professors and they have chapel and they go to this church and they go to that church and they go to that church. They just go to the church with the best show in town. They're absolutely useless. They're good for nothing. And he said, I, I really want to encourage you, don't be that kind of college student. You plug into a church and commit to it and do something that makes a difference in it. Otherwise, you're going to be like the rest that are useless, good for nothing. Um, a disciple. They're a disciple because they choose to be and they accomplish something with their life. Do you know what a ward is? I've got a couple. Warts. They're good for nothing. All they do is look ugly. There's a lot of people who are going to heaven who are warts. They don't do anything. Why? Nothing to do with talent. Nothing to do with ability. It's nothing to do with education. It has everything to do with choosing, committing. And if you choose not to be a disciple of Jesus, that's what you are. I hope you'll forgive me for offending you. But that's what a ward is. They do nothing. They look ugly. They're good for nothing. When my pastor said to me, that's the most useless group of people, I determined I'm not going to be part of that group. I don't want to be useless, good for nothing. I want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's what you are when you choose to be, when you make a commitment to the body and the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us, sending Jesus to die for us, paying the price of our sin, and we simply had to accept that gift, and we were in your family, headed for heaven. But now as we live our life as believers, we don't want to be those who are good for nothing, useless to you. But, Lord, we want to be disciples, fully devoted followers that are bearing much fruit.
We trust that you will make us fishers of men, that you will work in us so that we truly are effective and glorify you by our life. And Lord, make us a church, Jefferson Baptist Church, that makes disciples, doing us whatever needs done so that we would be like that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.